The Incomparable Number 459 May 2019 Welcome, everybody, to The Incomparable and to our second of two Avengers Endgame panels. Hi, my name is Chip Sutterth, and I am the former host of This Week in Time Travel that was on this lovely network. With me is another group of panelists from The Incomparable because it's almost like a Star Wars movie. You can't just have one panel about what is on the path to be probably one of the greatest biggest movies of all time. Let's introduce them. He is back, and not only is he back, but his podcast, Electric Shadow, is back. It's Moises Chuyan. Chip, you you wanted more? (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, uh, Or was this enough panelists for you? I think we're good. I think we're good. Joining us also, host of the Discovery Debrief and Spawn on Me podcast, it's Cicero Holmes. Yeah, uh, I'm ready to talk some Batman. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Tommy Wimey's. And with that, Cicero turned to dust. Uh, <laughs> making her first appearance on the Incomparable Network, I can't believe we didn't get you on This Week in Time Travel. Staff editor at Den of Geek, it's Katie Burt. Hi, Chip. I loved this movie, 3000. Uh, excellent, excellent intro. Too soon. You're on brand. Welcome to the incomparable. David J. Lore, hi. Hi, Jason. I'm I'm working on a Moon Knight spec since the writers said they didn't know what a good Moon Knight script would be. Uh, I'm not Jason. I'm not Tony, okay? Okay, Jason. Uh, Guy English, hello. Hi. I am... I am the Howard the Duck of this podcast. I'm sorry. I would have had I, I would I would have had a bigger, more encompassing greeting for you, guy. But David just sucked the will to life out of me. It's like he snapped his fingers. I know. I love Snap. it. Snap. And finally, Dan Morin. Hello. I have also been called America's ass, but for totally different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So we've had a little over a week yes. to marinate on Avengers Endgame, and our fellow uh, incomparable panelists have already sort of walked through the plot and all this other good stuff. So much to talk about, but I want to start as is traditional on the incomparable, even when it's not a draft, even when it's not an episode of Low Definition Game Show. I want opening statements, and because we're such a big panel, I have decided to visit random.org. Random.org. And uh, select, in random order, uh, folks, to give uh, just your initial thoughts, uh, your initial reactions to uh, Avengers Endgame, what you thought about it. And we'll start with Moises. My thing about this movie, people complaining about the length, uh, I, I feel like they should be complaining about the length for a different reason, uh, because this isn't really a movie. It's a part two of a two-part war and peace level epic mega crossover event. Uh, does it make sense without the first part? Not not really remotely. I could imagine a world in which someone would go and see Endgame as their first MCU movie, um, but I, I don't know that they would get as much of the emotional resonance out of it uh, or feel like it earned its three hours had they not ventured into at least a few of the uh, i would say the core movies of the mcu of, uh, like naturally thor the dark world uh jason snell's favorite mcu movie i just heard screaming. I, yeah i it's joke so of course good. um there's there there were people who felt like you had to watch all 20 preceding movies relatively recently before seeing this one capping off this first 10 years of uh, of cycles within cycles within cycles 
But I felt that that in some cases, my faint memory of things was kind of rewarded because without the movie going overboard expositionally or in re-explaining where different references come from, I, I was able to, having seen in some cases these movie just once, I was able to pick up on where they were from, the reference, you know, I, it, it, it was that Captain America moment of, I understood that reference, hmm. um, where I never really felt lost. N- nothing went so incredibly apocryphal that that I felt like I needed to have read the study guide before starting. I found myself wanting to see it immediately after seeing it the first time. Awesome. Cicero, what's your initial take? What's your opening statement? So um, for those of you who watch Bollywood films, um, there are two films, Bahubali and Bahubali 2. And much like Bahubali and Bahubali 2, um, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame uh, clock in uh, combined at almost six hours. Um, and much like Bahubali and Bahubali 2, these two movies have taken India by storm. Uh, Cicero, uh, I, I've got to say that you became a yet closer friend of mine for mentioning Bahubali, uh, which it, 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 it really is the Bollywood version of a giant spectacle yes. superhero movie. Yes. Hey, hey, you know, I, I am a font of worthless knowledge. Uh, so, Aren't so, we all? Uh, yes, exactly, which is why I'm at home here. So uh, so like those movies, uh, this these movies were epic um, but unlike those movies, uh, and, and, you know, I have to disagree a little with, with Moises about the fact that it would be impossible to imagine a person coming in and watching Endgame as their very first, their introduction into the MCU. I never thought I'd see a film like this. I never thought I would experience something like this that took place over the course of 10 years uh, and gave me a a uh, finale that was more satisfying than even television shows uh, that I've watched over 10 years like Smallville uh, or or a, a show that kind of entered the zeitgeist and entered um, my my feelings uh, similar to loss uh, I really feel like this was very satisfying and it and and in my opinion it could have even been longer I'm not sure, even with Moises's bladder guides that he posted, I'm not sure that I could have made that, but, but it's a valid argument. <laughs> it is an argument. <laughs> Katie, you have been writing a lot about Endgame over at Den of Geek, and you've got a lot of thoughts around the spectrum, but uh, what's, your, what's your opening statement about Endgame? Yeah, I mean, generally... I agree with what's been said before. I'm actually looking for a friend, a test subject to bring to this movie who doesn't have any prior knowledge. And I think I found her, so I'll report back on that. But um, for anyone, I like that this movie rewards emotional engagement. Like, we're at the point in the franchise, the Avenger movies in general are less about letting, you know, new welcoming new viewers into the story. Like for me that's what the standalone movies are for. And at this point if you've invested, you know, 10 years or, you know, you've been 5 years or you've just recently come on board, I feel like this movie needed to honor that commitment and I think it did really well. Um, you know, I have some qualms with the movie, but in general it had an incredibly difficult task and I think it pulled it off for the most part. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I've seen it twice so far. I think both times it was exhausting, both emotionally and physically, but that's not a critique. That's sometimes being emotionally and physically exhausted is nice. It's like running a marathon. There are tears. There was, there's joy, but, um, it there, felt, was chafing. <laughs> there was chafing. It felt good after the fact. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I can't wait to talk more about it. I summon David J. Lohr. Thanks, Jason. You can't fool me. I know it's you. Um, <laughs> I got to say, so I took I took both of the boys. All three of us managed all three hours, never left the seats, even the 20 minutes of trailers. It was fine. Uh, we were dehydrated by the end, but that's okay. It's worth it. And um, is it a great movie? Nah. Is it a great experience? Yes. Is it a great culmination of all of this? It's fantastic. Because, and I, and I said this about Infinity War too. Um, there have been movies that took comic book characters and did great things with them. There have been fun movies with comic book characters. This pair of movies in particular, but the Marvel, the whole, all the phases up to now, as they've woven together, but especially these two movies are the first time I've felt like I was watching a comic book world coming to life because it was the experience of all of these plots that you jump back and forth between. And there are so many of them and they weave into one another and they go into the different characters, universes and worlds and experiences. And it all worked. It all hung together. There wasn't a moment where I thought, Hey, they could have done this better until afterwards. As I was watching it, it followed the Harlan Ellison rule. It kept me wrapped and happy as it danced before my eyes, which that's that's like what I think when I'm watching a movie like this. It did. It it nailed it. It stuck the landing. Guy English, what do you think? I think you put me after David because you knew he was going to steal everything that I was about to say. That's what I think. Just just call him Jason for a while. It'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Um, honestly, this movie has no right to exist. Uh, the, yeah. it, it exists purely because... Maybe because of a timeline, right, guy? Exactly. Right. Well, here's the thing. Somebody willed this movie to exist. It doesn't make sense in isolation. Uh, neither does Infinity War. But the fact that it's a culmination of like 10 years of building this all up carefully, brick by brick, and investing in these characters is is remarkable. Um, this is, there are parts of this movie that are 100% pure comic book brought to life and um, not just part of the cultural zeitgeist, which all of these heroes are, or, you know, many of the big ones are. But uh, like the idea of a double page uh, splash image where one big army goes and bashes another big army and you're trying to pick out all the little guys as they bash into each other and you get excited about that. That visceral feeling is amazing. And that's not the interesting part about the movie. The interesting part about the movie is the emotional truth to it. Um, they have managed to make a movie with big, giant CG armies bashing into each other and yet have the maturity to handle their characters uh, with some exceptions, but to handle them with respect. And it is remarkable that in such a silly, goofy movie, um, it is far more adult in some scenes than uh, sort of DC's attempt at at doing the same thing. There's no, there's no angst. There's no anything. There's Cap sitting and talking about how hard it is to date after half of the universe has been obliterated. Right. That that is a that's a touching moment. All of these characters deal with loss, and I think that that is why people keep coming. And then they get the payoff of the giant comic book splash page, and 
and it's brilliant. It shouldn't exist. It does. It is amazing. I'm thrilled by it. And and that they all get a chance to breathe. Yes. Right. It's not wall to wall action. Yes. They get to be fully dimensional. Yeah. That's why it's three hours. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's three hours. All right. Dan, what do you think? Well, it's nice to go last after everybody said all the smart things, so that's good. Uh, what else is there left to say about this? I, I mean, I echo a lot of the sentiments from from my fellow panelists. It is, if you had gone back in time to me as a kid and told me that someday there will be this huge interlocking franchise of movies that spans a decade and 20 movies, and it will all culminate in this gigantic epic battle, I would have thought that you were totally, you know, making fun of me and you were lying. You're just straight up lying. Why would you do that to me? I was only a small child. That's just so mean. Uh, I was not always the biggest comic book fan. I sort of dabbled when I was in my teens. But I, I do think Guy's point, especially about how this does sort of resemble that that epic splash page uh, really does resonate in the same way that the infinity war and Endgame both managed to pull off that feeling of what a crazy comic book crossover is supposed to feel like yeah does it make a lot of sense no it doesn't the plot is not really that sensible but that wasn't the reason that you you tuned in for those giant things necessarily is because you got to see all those disparate characters uh drawn together and bounce off each other in ways that are unexpected and then have this ultimate climactic battle that was just, you know, truly, truly epic in the in the most uh, literal sense of the word. So for me, being able to experience that, and and I have lived with this franchise since it came out. I've seen, I think, every single movie in the theater, um, and it has become strangely enough. Like I realized not not long ago that you know when I was a kid and up until even now, Star Wars has been sort of my big franchise. But I think Marvel has gotten to be a very close second over the last decade. And if you had told me again, you know, ten fifteen years ago that anything would approach Star Wars in terms of my affection for it as a franchise i would also have thought that you were still lying to me why do you keep lying to me this is mean i just don't understand i would have just um, said supernatural dan i love that you dabbled in comic books the way that some people talk about experimenting with drugs you're like i tried it a little bit i didn't get hooked that that is accurate for me <laughs> The first hit was free comic book day. I, you know, um, when you chop it all up into the cheap newsprint and you snort it up, it really doesn't have quite yeah. the effect that you're hoping for. But Damn, yeah, we to, just lost our clean rating. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I agree. I mean, for me, these is the investment in all these characters and watching those plot lines pay off is is the biggest reward here, uh, and it's the thing that I'll take away from it. And so I, I'm amazed that you know so many of you have gone to see it second time already because I felt like after the first showing, like. I need to sit down. I was feeling like half at the end there. I need to sit down. I'm tired. I'm feeling a little old. I feel like but a lot has happened to me. So I, I, alternate universe Dan got to see it twice. <laughs> I've seen it three times. I've spent nine hours watching Avengers. Oh, I, yeah. I but just, you got to see it before everybody. Yeah. Okay. I went to a press screening and then I saw it on opening night and then I saw it in laser IMAX yesterday. In summation, I feel old and tired. <laughs> I hear that. I well, hear that. Correct. So Dan, that, that answer is correct. You are old and tired. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, back to Endgame in a minute. But first, let me take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode. It's Linode. Linode lets you deploy and manage an SSD server in their cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and node locations. I use Linode. I am one of a hundred, hundreds of thousands of customers of theirs. Very happy I run it for uh, my servers for the Incomparable in six colors. Um, and Linode is uh, looking after all those customers with a great 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any trouble, and I very rarely do, but occasionally it has happened, they've been incredibly responsive. You can drop them an email, give them a call, chat over IRC in the Linode community. Basically, whatever works for you, they will uh, be there to support you. They've got great guides and support documentation as well if you want to look something up. They've got a brand new management panel. You can go to cloud.lino.com and check it out. It is super awesome. Uh, it's a single-page application. It's built using React.js. It's backed up by their public API, and it's even open source. And they've even got two-factor authentication, which I've turned on, to make sure that your data is safe and secure and that nobody's going to get to your server. Um, Lino has pricing options to suit anyone out there. The prices are amazing. Plans start at 1 gig of RAM for $5 a month. High memory plans start with 16 gigs of RAM. And they've got a special offer as a listener of The Incomparable. You can go to linode.com slash Snell and use the promo code Snell2019, my last name in the year. You get $20 toward any Linode plan. Now do the math. On that 1 gig plan I mentioned, that's four free months of a Linode server, four free months, and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash Snell, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash Snell, promo code Snell2019. To learn more, sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting The Incomparable. One of the things that I wasn't expecting from this movie was to laugh as hard as I did. Uh, mm. I bounced The first time I saw Infinity War, I bounced off of it pretty hard. Um, It was nihilistic. It was breaking all of my favorite toys. It took a second viewing for me to appreciate what was going on. You know, it's just like, you know, I I mean, hell, I was even upset that they broke Thor's hammer in Ragnarok. Spoilers, everybody. Uh, But (laughs) wait, what? Yeah. But there were lots of laugh-out-loud moments in Endgame that I really appreciated, and some of them weren't even fat-phobic. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, the other thing that about this movie that I loved was that some of the most powerful scenes, most affecting scenes in the entire movie, were delivered by actors in street clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. That scene with Cap and Black Widow um, at the beginning um, Mm. at at the Avengers headquarters. Or the scene with Tony and his father. I mean, Uh that that in some ways is like the heart of the movie, right? That connection and that passing of the torch. And that's something that the MCU has done really, really well over the last 10 years. Going all the way back to Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 1 guy you said that this there's there's no reason that this movie should have existed i'm still boggled that this franchise exists that they yeah. got such talented actors and they paid enough attention to the scripts that these were um believable usually well-rounded uh, characters that were entertaining to watch and listen to even when they weren't running around on cgi landscapes punching things right i uh, but I meant there's, it has no right to exist. It was willed into being by the efforts of everybody involved and including the actors who I think it starts with casting Robert Downey Jr. 
Uh, yeah. I think John yeah. Favreau is like a favorite of Disney now and, you know, Robert Downey Jr. favorite of the Marvel people now for a very, very good reason in that like without that casting, I think this whole thing would have fallen flat. It would I mean, have been did, did they, did they cast Robert Downey Jr. or was he just built for this role. Yeah, well, he was molded. I mean, like, was, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. did, did they point. did they pour Robert Downey Jr. into the Iron Man mold or did they pour it, Iron it, Man into the Robert Downey Jr. It mold? It is hard to point to a bad casting choice. They there have been some recasts, but like the hit the hit ratio in their casting choices yes. is absurdly high. Yeah. I think there was some pushback against Robert Downey Jr. being cast. Really? And this is one of those instances yeah. where I'm going to quote or reference a podcast that I actually haven't listened to, but someone told me about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know that uh, Sci-Fi Wire, I think, does a Forgotten Woman of Sci-Fi ongoing podcast. And they talked to or about, I believe this is where it happened, the casting director of the MCU and yeah, who was a woman and just talked to her about like, because the casting is so amazing for these movies, like what that like very underappreciated role across the film industry has, you know, how important it's been to the MCU. So eventually I will listen to that. And perhaps you should too, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Speaking of older movies, I mean, another thing that I wasn't expecting from Endgame was that this movie would not just be a capstone for um I see what you did 10 there. years of movies there <laughs> <laughs> but it actually intersected with those older movies. We went back yes. to the original Avengers uh, yes. movie. We went back to Thor: The Dark World. I mean, right. yeah. I mean, right. really, the the, the, the center the center chunk of the movie is previously on Avengers. Right. So, <laughs> well, it's ba- it's Back to the Future Part Two. I mean, it's sneaking around but, in the background of your earlier but, movie. But we've established that Back to the Future is BS. Did that risk overdoing it on the nostalgia bit on the greatest hits thing, um, uh, or or was that exactly no. what we needed? They needed that because, uh, for you know, they set up the Back to the Future joke, and they sort of ease you into it. But they needed that to set up going back to 1970, going back to places that we've never seen. But we needed we needed a little bit of you know, hey, here's this thing you remember, and here's how we're going to change it a little bit. Now here's this thing you've never seen, and it's going to blow your mind. I, I think part of the brilliance of this film and and the and the series as a whole is but this film in particular is that it made Thor the Dark World matter. Right. You, you know? Right. I mean that that is because I, I mean right. Mm-hmm. I mean besides the Hulk which is, you know, the Hulk is the is the movie that everyone forgets uh, the or the Incredible Hulk is the movie that everyone forgets is in the MCU. That's the but, one movie that I have yet to finish. Right. Oh. Well, and, and nor nor should yeah. you. Nor should uh, you. <laughs> um, but but uh, the, I mean the thing is, Thor: The Dark World received a lot of screen time in this film, and you know, and I think that was kind of intentional. Like that, the fact that they were able to narratively uh, make that movie matter so much. This movie that. Uh, across the board is is maligned as the worst MCU movie. Now, you know, to to its credit, even a bad MCU movie is an okay movie. And then there's the Incredible Hulk and the Dark World. Um, <laughs> so, like, now it it's made me want to go back and watch the Dark World. And I know that if right. if and when I do, I will do so with different eyes. Like well, I, yeah. I, I'll really my, my, start to appreciate some of the the trash that was in that film. My thing for some time has been that Dark World isn't 
as terrible as people give it credit for. It's in comparison to the rest of the MCU movies. It is terrible sure. uh, by comparison as just a movie on its own. It's fine. It's okay. It right. doesn't do anything spectacular. But to me, the interesting way that they twist it here is that they use it as a setting to for me and i i don't know uh, you know chip you're you're in charge of the ship here um you're you're in charge not star lord um <laughs> you know i i don't know how how much you want to dip into the the lebowski thor thing right now but the the one touching note of thor's depressive transformation is going back to throw the dark world and being able to speak to his mother one more time sure and and that that for me if they'd handled other parts of his um, body shape transformation, I think um, more reasonably and not as Hollywood skinny culture. Um, you know, I would have I would have been able to not be distracted by it, um, and it, right. it, it would have landed here a bit better. Um, but it, it was it, the, the other piece of it that was interesting to me was that the shots of Natalie Portman, where you actually see Natalie Portman's face. Those could absolutely just be pickup shots from the original movie, and she didn't shoot a new frame of film for this whole thing. I, I would bet on that, yeah. I was curious about that, too. I, I was super confident well, that they were discards from the film. <laughs> and and the thing that I really liked about that sequence uh, was that, you know, again, it carries on that theme of, you know, Tony getting to talk to Howard. It's it's Thor getting to talk to his mother, which which in this moment is more important to him than talking to his father. I mean, they kind of did that in Ragnarok. And also, they probably couldn't get Anthony Hopkins back. But that's right. okay. Um, but, but, yeah, especially that it did kind of redeem this... Mm, well, he he had closure with his dad in Ragnarok, right, which he doesn't right. have with his and mother. He never his had mother with his is, mother. His mother is taken from him, so right. it's a and so it's now, a nice pit of emotional closure at that it's, point. It's, and he needs and, a different nice relationship in that moment than he has with his father as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Possibly my favorite bit of the flashbacks was seeing Peter Quill dancing without the benefit of any soundtrack <laughs> music. Yes. <laughs> and and then getting punched in the face. face yes. That, that was better. oddly satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not really surprised by how many people really enjoyed watching Peter Quill get punched in the face for <laughs> causing the having of the entirety of existence. Uh, but with the Avengers, it wasn't quite as much the touching stuff as the whiz bang action aspect of it that in the elevator scene which had everybody in the theater just sort of gasping i was like i'm in a theater full of people who actually not only are marvel cinematic universes fans but they remember that scene from the winter soldier which was a while ago Um, yeah and remember the way it's shot because so many so many of the callbacks are visual there yes yeah right down yeah. to the like, actors I, I, and everything. Yeah, yeah, down to the positioning of everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was even staged in the exact same spaces. Yeah. That's that's the point where my 17-year-old turns to me and goes, are you all right? Because I was giggling like an idiot <laughs> for the whole sequence. I'm like, oh, my God. They, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So we're all kind of agreed that the nostalgia trip was actually just absolutely essential to the movie and to our enjoy oh, yeah. of it, right? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. And also that... You know, everyone's going, oh, they're going to fix it with the Infinity Stones. They're just going to use the Time Stone and fix it. So they had to do something other than do that. Right. And this was a really smart way of doing that. Yeah. not. To, uh, yeah. And I think so, it's hugely important, too, that, you know, they don't... Because there is another, like, kind of time travel in this movie in the sense that there's a five-year time jump, which I was one of my favorite choices they made. And the fact yeah. that they don't, um, you fix know... That 
fix that, I think is so, so important and so smart. And, you know, it's kind of like hand waved away within the movie as Tony Stark's daughter wouldn't exist. And she represents all these other, you know, people who wouldn't exist. But if they didn't have that, I think Infinity War would be a worse movie. And yeah, so would so would this. So I'm yeah. I mean, obviously they thought about these things and good job. Well, well, I, I, even even the setup for all the timey wimey nonsense uh, with with Banner Hulk and and his the the that exposition where he's kind of explaining the rules of time travel in this universe and or more explaining the rules that don't exist within this universe. Mm. In that moment when they're setting everything up and and. Uh, and Ant-Man's about to make that first trip. If you guys pay attention, the music was very Back to the Future-esque. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was told, it was, mm-hmm. well, it's Alan Silvestri who wrote the score yes. for Back to the Future. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So it was, yeah, it, this was like the chopped and skewed version of, of Back to the Future music. And I immediately picked up on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, man, these guys... Man, they they like they really know what they're doing right now. Yeah, this movie didn't just reward pop culture awareness of the existing MCU. It just rewarded, you know, nerdy pop culture right. awareness yes. in general. Yes. Yes. Well, and speaking of nerdy pop culture, the one thing when we came out, uh the boys and I went to have dinner and you know, of course we're just talking about it, but we don't we don't want to say anything in case anyone else in the restaurant hasn't seen it. Beautiful. But then but then I as we're talking, I just went, "Did you get the Trek thing?" And, and my 17-year-old is like, what? And there, there's some little parallels to Wrath of Khan in this, where like it starts off with, it's not, it's not exactly a fake-out, but just it starts off with killing Thanos. Right. And you're sitting right. there going, wait a second. Right. Because you went into Star Trek II going, well, Spock's going to die. And then he dies in the first few minutes. And you're like, oh, oh, it was a fake-out. And then, but then at the end, it is literally one man irradiating himself to save everybody else. And it's, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. right down to the radiation damage. And you're just like, oh, wow. And yeah. my 17-year-old was like, holy crap. That's nerdy. <laughs> and I don't know how intentional it was, but it just. Well, there, there's a certain intentionality to the way stories are structured. I'm not. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah. 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 Sure. I mean, I, I think. Right, right. It wasn't by accident. No, yeah. I mean, when yeah. he did the Vulcan hand salute, though. That yeah. Was, right, really, right. yeah. yeah. That was, when he told Cap that he would always be his friend. I thought that was really a little too. Earl Grey tea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, a, there's a yeah, lot of that, that though, because when, when uh, the, Hawkeye is in that tunnel and he shoots the uh, the arrow down the line, it's it's basically a shot from Aliens, right? Right. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 No, it is. It, it, no one screamed Vasquez, but uh, no, no. But it there, was close. A, the, this is a love letter to popular culture, yeah. popular nerd oh, culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, there's so much that it takes from, and I I, I love it. Uh, yeah. I've I've seen it twice now. Every single time I keep noticing something new and it takes people who really love this kind of stuff to bring it to this level and bring it to uh, an audience so wide. Right. Yeah. I mean, don't look past the fact that this this movie acknowledges the existence of hot tub time machine within the MCU. <laughs> Come on. I, was, yes. I, was, I yes. wanted to ask about that because I wanted to go look up if they're all under the same umbrella company. And I don't think they are. I'm yeah. just glad like, that oh, no, by mentioning not. hot tub time machine in the movie, that means that it is fiction in the movie, which means it is not canon, which is absolutely fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fascinating thing to me is that so many characters, I think T'Challa has 
has maybe one line. Okoye has maybe one line, but just with one line, various characters that people have an attachment to a relationship with, that's all you need. It's all meta textual at this point where you're not being introduced to a bunch of these folks. Um, Not that I would advise people to see this before they see Captain Marvel, but I think you could see it before you see Captain Marvel and maybe even get, uh, you know, a different version of getting more out of Captain Marvel seeing it after you see this if for whatever reason you've missed it we did actually go the week before just to, to get up to speed because we hadn't seen it yet yeah. in all fairness she saw Avengers <laughs> before Captain Marvel probably because they shot them in that order That's that right. she did right. and right. it certainly right. wouldn't be hard to get more out of Captain Marvel by seeing her movie after this and that that does bring me to one because she built more of the character after this <laughs> right and that brings me to I'm not sure that it's a uh, it, I, it's something of a criticism I have of the movie, but it's certainly not a criticism that what? killed the movie for me. But it's interesting that this is the movie that we got after we got movies like Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Because this movie takes us back to the original core group of Avengers characters, back from the first movie. Plus Nebula, and Karen Gillan's contribution to this movie is way underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. Says the tra- sure. the Doctor Who host. <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. Uh, Black Panther, phenomenally important movie. Captain Marvel, mm. phenomenally important. Changing the character of, of of what we've had in these movies. And then we've got mostly white mostly male avengers the old guard the folks that were established back in the beginning and the new they're not the next generation of uh, marvel cinematic universe characters they're the current generation but they all got dusted and most of them have essentially cameos and i have different i, I have conflicting well, feelings about that because but we needed to say goodbye to the old guard and we needed to have this yeah. story with them but that robbed i i really would have liked to have seen especially captain marvel have a lot more to do in this movie i i would have liked to have them have a, a little bit more but i don't think it it deep sixes it for me precisely because this is the last hurrah this is right. the last roundup and are we going to see hulk and thor again probably but how many of them are we not going to see again you know right. it's okay I'm okay. I do we- think as a counter to this, though, that Spider-Man gets like a fair amount of screen time within the battle, especially. And that is partially because he is a character that's integral to Tony Stark's storyline. Right. But I do think there are elements given to him that could have easily been given to one of the Black Panther characters or Captain Marvel, especially the Black Panther characters. Actually, that was the part of the world that I... Would have liked, and definitely not given too much story time because there's already so much to do in this movie. Um, but at least kind of knew a little bit more about what was happening in Wakanda, um, especially because it seemed like it wasn't even clear. I guess, okay, so like oh. Shuri was dusted, um, but that wasn't really clear even like to the actors, it seemed, until. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying right well, right here. But, but, yeah, but they, have, they had a lot they had a lot of time in Infinity War. So so mm-hmm. it kind of if you watch it as a five hour five and a half hour, good lord. Yeah. Um I see I see more of a balance across the two. 
And and that's part of that is because so this is how smart my 17 year old is. He didn't see Infinity War last year. I said, do you want to go see it? He goes, "Nah, I already know what happens. I said, what? Oh, well, wow. All his all his friends spoiled him. So he's like, yeah, I know what happens. And I'm like, but but you want to see Downey and Cumberbatch snarking at each other? No, 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 no. So then two weeks ago, he's like, I, I kind of want to see Endgame. So he, he watched Infinity War the night before. So so it didn't it didn't seem as much of a gap. Right. Sure. And and so he was like, yeah, that was a really cool five and a half hours. It's like, oh, so he didn't have yeah. to wait a year. Yeah. My, so my partner, my partner and I have been together for uh, a little over 11 years. Uh, and she was not a sci-fi fantasy nerd um, before meeting me. And uh, I have I started by dragging her to these films. Um, and and I think I think the first one that she may have seen was Avengers and before we drove from Chicago to South Carolina to see Endgame with my family, uh, with uh, oh, wow. some cousins who we all converged in Charleston to go and see that. But before we went to go see that, before you know, as we were planning this trip, she was still she still hadn't seen Ragnarok. She still hadn't seen uh, Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel hadn't come out. She hadn't seen uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Ant- nor Infinity War. So that was we were trying to. Cr- Cram all of those in, and she got Infinity War. We watched Infinity War and Ant Man and the Wasp right. in one night. Right, um, we did it in two nights. Yeah, we yeah, yeah we watched uh, because my my fiance is a little uh, has a slight addictive problem when it comes to when she starts watching things. She's like, oh, we got to binge everything. So we watched right. all three Captain <laughs> oh. America movies this weekend in addition oh my, to Endgame. Oh my gosh. and I squeezed <laughs> Infinity War in in two parts as well. Yeah, wow. so she marry your fiance. So the, the the great thing about by the time we got to Infinity War, she was she was already in. She was in. She was ready to do it. She was engaged. Uh, and once we were done with Endgame, we, you know, we talk about the emotional resonance of of this film. She was. Uh, Verklemp. She was, you know, she was, she was very kind of taken with the emotional, uh, portions of this film. There were people in our theater that were sobbing, that were openly, you know, you know, uh, heaving, uh, sobbing. She was, at the point where she was shaking, uh, she was, she was crying so much and she was trying to hold that in. But once the film was done, she was asking me about, Oh, what you know? Don't you have a Marvel subscription? Are the Avengers comic books good? Um, you know, so it 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 has what I, I think this film has done successfully. You know, for those people that just watch them as films, has created comic book, not necessarily readers, but they've it's created comic book fans from they'll, they'll these films. It. Right, yeah. they'll try it because. Endgame by the by the you know by the time we get to Endgame you have <laughs> essentially experienced the comic book you have you know what it means to be a comic book reader as someone has already said because it does touch from all of these different things you know the only thing that was missing was for you know and all of those different moments that were callbacks to other things was an asterisk and and a little box <laughs> that says see you know see right. black panther issue issue two um right. yes yeah, well so, like i was like, i was filling in things for for my 17 year old saying well this is from this comic book series and this is from that and like at the end when it goes the producers would like to thank jim starlin I said, who's jim starlin I said, well here's why that's important <laughs> 
And I believe Jim Starlin was actually in a cameo yes, in he was. Uh, Captain he was Marvel and su- Captain America's support group. A support yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, um, so were there any other delightful surprises or uh, sour notes that you picked up on? I, I have something that's that's kind of a where we're left toward the end that kind of touches on what Katie uh, was getting into earlier about how, yeah, this is an end cap to the overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male uh, way end that cap. All this stuff I see started. what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> I borrowed it from somebody else. Um, I, I think I think that it's going to be interesting to see uh, similar reactions to when certain things were done in the comics to diversify uh, the people that were holding the mantles of legacy characters. Sure. Because at the end of this movie, we have Black Captain America, Black right. Iron Man, right. and uh, Thor's off in space and and ceded, ceded the royal title to Valkyrie. So we've also got Black Thor. Black right. Lady right. Thor. Right. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't think that necessarily has landed in the way that as uh, in theory they if they if they are going to pick that up sometime in the next year or two it, it'll be interesting to see the way that certain people react and people already have been delightfully vitriolic about <laughs> sam uh holding the shield and taking on the title of captain america just wow. as vitriolic as they were when it happened in the comics and uh, there are a few things not that my I enjoy. America <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> there are a few things that I enjoy more than bigots being absolutely wrong and, and angry and salty about uh, how wrong they are well, for, for me one of the um, delights and kind of sour notes tied together for the film was being able to see um, Peggy Carter and Jarvis again yeah. because I was a big Agent Carter fan yes. Um, yes. but it was also kind of a sour note in the sense that Steve's ending made me very unclear as it did many other people what it meant for the Agent Carter continuity right. or right. Peggy Carter's character in general um, so I think it's like it's those sorts of priorities of character that are built already built into the first decade of the MCU, but also um, I think there are ways that they could have handled the priorities of this movie in particular a little bit better. Um, I think another example is both Natasha and like our Gamora and what kind of, I guess, closure they had at the end of the film in comparison to the Tony Stark's funeral. Because, you know, obviously Tony Stark is the first character at MCU. He's going to have this big moment. but And that wouldn't necessarily work for either Natasha or Gamora's characters. It wouldn't feel um, true to who they were, I think, to have something like that. But the fact that those sacrifices weren't more, um, especially Gamora for me, weren't more addressed in the ending um, was... A way that the I think the movie failed, and you know we've talked about its many successes, but there were yeah there were some things that I think it could have done better and would have done better maybe if there were more um, diverse people behind the scenes at a higher level. To to tag onto that, um, you know, uh, because I think there are a thousand different ways that people could jump in and say, well, Katie, what was actually happening here? Uh, <laughs> the the thing that that I completely agree with on this thread is if you have to issue a an explainer for yeah. how your continuity and multiversal reality stuff works mm-hmm. after your movies come out, maybe you didn't explain it well enough in your three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That was the thing thing that got me is that i you know they didn't do a good job explaining it and it wasn't until reading uh the i think it was in the new york times the the screenwriters talking about it yeah it was with dave itzkoff and they're explaining that oh no no uh cap went back to a a different reality with peggy it's another dimension but then 
okay, does that get closed off? How does that all work? What <laughs> right. is, you know, and, when, and when, kind of, when Hulk kind of puts the, the, the stones said. back, exactly. It's like, how does that happen? Right. Right. And, and so that didn't, that didn't work for me. Um, so as a Doctor Who fan, I am accustomed to time right. the rules of time travel making absolutely no sense and having no uh, consistency whatsoever. So it didn't bother me that there were some logical breaks in the continuity, if as long as it seemed to serve the characters. But and, but and, Jason, this is so much better written than Doctor Who. Come on. <laughs> hey. Okay, now now you're just trolling. Now you're just trolling. A little bit. A little bit. Just to jump in, I you know I, I immediately up, upon finishing this, I, I was not thinking too much about the continuity and the rules of it. Right. Um, right. But again, my fiance started going like everything was fine until the cap shows up at the end and it ruins like ruins all the logic yeah. of any of their rules. <laughs> and then like a guy from behind us like literally leaned over is like yeah I totally agree and like the two of them started going off right there. It's like, <laughs> I'm just trying to watch the movie. And, and, and long story and short, now that guy is marrying your fiance. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. very you are now the care. best man at their wedding. Yeah, it's just uh, awkward so. but true. But yeah, I, I I think that it's. I mean, I don't know. If you make rules, you should stick to them. And I think there's always a way it could have been done cleaner. Time travel is a huge can of worms to open in any universe, especially one that this this is this complicated. Uh, but I think more or less they kind of there's a lot of hand waving going on here and i think it's okay for the most part but it does start to get tricky when you start to think about like well we've said up front the timeline can't change but yet all these things that happen are like clearly like like loki ending up with a tesseract like clearly throw wrenches in things and you're like wait if they can't change the past then what is happening why am i even watching and maybe maybe it's headcanon for me but i i kind of took that as we think it can't change Right. There are things in the movie that that clearly contradict what they're theorizing about time. Well, and it can't because they literally shoot someone from the past. And if it really worked the way you thought, then right, that right. person would no longer exist. They do in the a future. really good job of not, as someone mentioned this earlier, of not explaining the rules, but explaining what the rules aren't, even though sometimes yeah. they contradict what the rules aren't as right, well. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree that um, for me, it's more important that they get the characters right than the plot mechanics. And I think in general, this movie prioritized characters in a way that um, both surprised and delighted me. And, but I think with um, Steve's ending in particular, I really love tony's ending um even though i cried a bunch Mm. um but with steve's ending the more i thought about it um the more in terms of character it didn't work for me with my interpretation of his character and his journey which you know there's so many different interpretations but for me his you know ever since the winter soldier and again in this movie it's been about him learning how to move on and accept like his new reality and thematically i felt like him going back to the past um while it was this like very traditional like romantic happy ending it didn't work thematically with like his i guess his struggle and i like to see like different kinds of happy endings like what would it look like for him to be happy in the present um and you know again that's one interpretation so yeah uh there is one line uh for steve at the beginning of this movie that seems to work against all that growth that he had been doing in the previous movies where he and nat are talking and 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 he says that he's he's telling people in the sport groups that he's running that you just got to move on and then he and nat appear to be admitting to each other that neither one of them can right 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 yeah that's the hero's journey right 
you know, that they they carry on the hubris of the hero, that they carry uh, weight that the that the normal man does not. So so it is easy for Captain America to tell the plebeians, the you know, the proletariat to just to move on and and to keep living their lives because he carries that weight for them. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a line from a Jay-Z song, Hove did that so y'all don't have to. Um, and that's what, that's what Cap is, is kind of saying right there. And you got to um, think, how many things has he moved on from already? I mean, he, he lost an entire era of right. people and friends and family and all the, all the people that Nat has lost and moved right. on from. So, you know, they're, I, I think they're allowed to, to go, Hey, th- there's a chance we can get them all back. All right. Let's do it. I've got I've got uh, one thing that I want to say that about uh, something that I didn't like and and something to talk about with phase four if if there is time for both of those things at some point. But so the first thing, uh, a thing I didn't like and, and, you know, get ready to send your hate mail to at Stubby Stan on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the girl power moment. That was the only time in mm. the film that I groaned. <laughs> um, it, it was it was. It was so uh, like ham fisted for me. And, you know, right. and uh, again, here's the thing, guys. It's not because I think that women are inferior or any of that other stuff. That's that's nonsense. But it was this this belief that they as the as the filmmakers needed to hammer us over the head with the fact that, oh, here are all the women in right. the MCU, including Pepper Potts, um, and they're going to help, you know. And it was it was you know Rosie the Riveter times ten to go out there and say that we're going to go and we're going to fight Thanos, and then they you know so that that part was just like oh come on guys that was that was unnecessary completely yeah, I mean, unnecessary. I actually and, agree with you. I didn't like that part either. Um, it felt kind of manipulative and also right. yes. like yeah. they wanted a cookie for like you know right. yeah. twenty oh, season making right. a female centric and like you know obvious. It was good, but I also felt that um, after having that initial reaction and feeling like that was very strongly the reaction I had. I also thought about how I'm always thinking about how this movie hits like different kinds of viewers and how people can have totally different experiences. And I think there probably are like younger girls in particular who may have loved that scene. Well, well, so here's what I'll say to that is so they did that moment. And even if you thought that moment itself was ham fisted, you're like, okay, here are all the women and they're going to go out there and they're going to wreck shop. And then you see them for like three seconds and then they don't do anything. Right. Right. And I will so say that, those are the women and Peter, which I kind of. Right. Love. Right. So, and so, and so I'll point back to Infinity War when, uh, Scarlet Witch and Okoye and, uh, I think it was Black Widow are fighting Thanos's guard. And the three of them who's are also having, a woman. Can I, also can, a woman. I, can I do the, can I do the uncouth in industry thing and say that yeah. I don't think these screenwriters know how to write women at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean yeah. that that is that's Hot that could take. be fair, right? Right. Exactly. I, well, that, and that's the thing is, it's like <laughs> but, lukewarm. It's been sitting in the window. Like it's not right. even. I, I don't even feel like it's that risky a move to make. Right. But yeah. but the thing the thing about it is, it I felt like that it was handled so much better in Infinity War. 
where they didn't have to say it. It just happened to be, well, you know, four women, but there's three hero, three female heroes on screen fighting, fighting with each other uh, for the first time, really. Yeah. And, and, and just, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And that's all you needed. And they, right. they did, they did less than that. With more, with more people, with more dialogue, with, you know, with more screen time in Endgame. And it just, it really just burned my biscuits. Right. I was, yeah, I was like, so I'm kind of with you. Like in the, in the moment, I really like, because I was so hyped up from the entire fight, like I was kind of on board with it. And then it like in retrospect, it definitely, the cringiness factor definitely yes. started to sink in. But I think. And I've read a bunch of stuff in the last week about this, too, and I've discussed this with a lot of other people who've seen the movie. And I think, you know, as sort of Moises alludes to, the, the women in, in the MCU in general are often underserved. And and yeah. in this movie, especially where so many times they end up falling into this sort of caretaker role, like that is a it's it's not the best portrayal and and even the women who are extremely powerful i mean i think partly probably like half the reason that they keep captain marvel off screen for as much as the movie as they do is because right. she, she fixes a lot of problems if she comes back because she is right. so amazingly yeah, powerful, powerful. Right. um well, and so and that's fine like you know uh, that is a door they opened for themselves they right. should have been aware of that but yeah i think overall the mcu in general in the in these first 20 films has not done the best job except of, for black uh, panther Except for yeah, right. Black yeah. Panther is right. probably the best. I mean, and Captain yeah. Marvel, I think did a, it did a much yes. better job in in her own film. Right, uh, and yes. there are other f- characters I really I really like the Wasp. She gets very little. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, but yes. like it, it's really a in the last two or three years situation where they've finally kind of gotten on board with having having women characters who are not just there as supporting characters right. for the guys, uh, and I think that is part of what makes the ultimate black widow uh her the end of her story definitely echo the wrong way is because so much of it points to the shortcomings not only with her own character but with so many of the women characters across the mcu that it starts to feel more hollow than i think it it should i mean it's perfectly there's there's no reason that sacrificing yourself should be the exclusive domain of male characters for, by any <laughs> account but when you have a character who has been such a presence in so many of these movies and yet has never gotten her due. Uh, it feels cheap to have her be the one who goes out when it, it's like we we didn't even really get her whole arc, right? Like so much right. of her arc happens before we ever meet her as a character. Right. right. Well, and, Dan, and, I've got good news for yes, you. Yes, I know. There's right. a standalone coming, I'm aware. But like, you know, and, and some of this can be remediated by that to a certain degree. But it is something, you know, it's something that they really need to be aware of, I think, as they go into their next phase of movies. The only thing that redeemed the Black Widow uh, sacrifice for me was the fact that Black Widow and Hawkeye fight each other so hard for right. that. Right. That's the only and, thing that right. made it work the least bit for me. It, I mean, it was the first big fight scene of the film. If if we if we consider the fates, the, the story arcs of the original Avengers, Hawkeye has an arc in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cap certainly has a has an arc. Tony has an an arc. Uh, the Hulk becomes integrated between his uh, bifurcated personalities. Right what's with Nat? Like, what what happens except that she jumps off a cliff following Mm -hmm. Gamora, the other woman that was thrown off a cliff? Like, I I think there's 
there's a tone deafness to this <laughs> sort of sacrifice that I don't know how they could have solved given the way that um, the dominoes were aligned. Right. But I I feel uncomfortable with celebrating. I mean, yeah. I will I will say the the only benefit to not sacrificing Hawkeye there is that it's really, really pleasing to watch him getting beaten up by someone. <laughs> well, it's, it would have been... Sure, but that's it a joke. Like, you know... <laughs> and like, it would, it like would have that, been empty because nobody cares if Hawkeye lives Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, Matt, Matt has been with us since the very second movie in the in the MCU. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. unless you count Incredible Hulk and I can't remember the dates, but... Right. You know, yeah, it's, Iron it's, Man 2. Iron, like, Iron Man 2 is the third film in the MCU, yes. Yeah. So she's an old school character. I yep. think it deserves a little bit more of an arc than what we got, oh, which is yeah. uh, like a tertiary at best. Right. Uh, she did good in this. I mean, so uh, Winter Soldier is probably the the, the pinnacle the, of her. The pinnacle of her character, yes, right. for sure. It, it, I, and I and I appreciate her a lot. And this one has her, you know, going through a low point of uh, having basically lost her new family. Um, but I don't understand. There's no redemption arc. Like when we meet her. The very first thing she's doing is being a mother to Bruce Banner when he's the Hulk. Right. I, I'm unsatisfied with the way that they handled Natalie, uh, like Nat's character. Natalia's. For a character who hasn't always had like, the, like you were saying, like in Iron Man two even or the first Avengers, hasn't always had the the best arc. For me, actually, I really liked up until her death. Um, I yeah. liked her characterization in this movie because I, yeah. I think. And I don't think the Russo brothers saw it this way, as they've you know said in interviews. But for me, she was demonstrating like a different kind of heroism, like the fact that she was still, mm. you know, there running right. the Avengers team when no one else was, when even Steve was yes. questioning whether yeah. this work needed to be done, was like incredibly heroic to me. But in a way that these movies don't tend to recognize, or yes. any kind of movie like the like this tends to recognize. Um, I do like that the fact that she was able to beat Hawkeye just kind of proves that she's such a great fighter. Right. Um, but these things don't happen in a vacuum, obviously. And the fact that she died in the place of Hawkeye, who spent like the beginning of this movie like murdering people murdering like people of color specifically right as just like this like judge jury and executioner like he felt his pain you know gave him the right to do this where she was just like doing a lot of like hard thankless work was really yeah it's disappointing um especially you know this isn't something that you're necessarily thinking when you're watching the movie but you know jeremy renner hasn't been the best advocate for his nope. female co-stars he's been like a bad advocate and like oh, in a I lot of ways that. um so for her someone's writing an article for den of geek about women and and endgame and the way they phrased it was you know she kind of had to die so that his role in the mcu could continue because he's having he has his own disney plus tv show and it's like so that <laughs> decision was mandated by you know the fact that he has a tv show but that uh, is a decision that was made it, you, right. you, they're deciding to focus on this character and maybe you know there's the kate bishop of it all and like it could go in a lot of exciting ways but at sure this point yeah in his time, daughter seems lovely <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, you know, and uh, yeah so yeah, it's but, but, and i think it really like the point is driven home when they're on the dock their first dock of the movie and it's only you know dudes who are grieving her and obviously it's like there's a focus on the original avengers but um it really 
it really drives home the point that she was the only representative of the original Avengers who was a woman. Right, um, right, and they chose right. to kill her off. <laughs> right. And she died for the sake of a guy who was mind controlled for most of the first movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like he's had such a less integral part to this franchise. It's, right. so I know. He, and he's a character that nobody cares about. And, uh, you know, uh, well, yeah, the, the, I, the crazy yeah. thinking, uh, the crazy making thing for me. And I, I, I would argue slightly with what Guy just said, not because of my personal feelings, but because I've run into a surprising number of people who say that Hawkeye is their favorite of the original Avengers. I don't understand it, <laughs> but there there are people who are really into that kind of military veteran guy with a family kind of thing. That means something for some people. That's all well and good. Um, but, uh, you know, th- there's, there's this question of causality of, well, did the decision to do the Disney Plus series determine the direction they took with the script? Or when you dig into like these mm-hmm. articles uh, with the screenwriters where they said, well, originally we were looking at having Hawkeye die, but then that would have been bad because we wouldn't have, you know, been letting Black Widow do something that guys get to do, and it, it seems like a the way that they the way that they set it up, where they had it as this binary choice of it had to be one of the two of them. Neither direction that it could have gone was terribly great for correcting the record as it were with the track record they've had with Natasha specifically. Why does um, no one try punching the Red Skull? Maybe that makes the soul <laughs> <laughs> Try it. Yeah, you don't know. Why has nobody tried punching his stupid face? Punch him hard enough and a soul stone falls out. Yeah, this is the second woman who, woman who has been sacrificed yes. in some way for a man to get the soul stone. Right. Yes. Yeah. Even within that very specific like category. Right. Yes. Neither right. of whom we care for. This one was uh, Hawkeye, who nobody cares for, and the other one was the bad guy. Right. Like that's <laughs> right. neither yeah. of these are good sacrifices. And, and and I feel conflicted on Gamora because something that I disliked about the characterization of Gamora and and this isn't well in the comic books it turns out that blah 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 something that I like about the original characterization of the character that they adapted for the screen in Gamora is that she was not the type who would be girlfriended the way that she was in the Guardians right, right. movies. Yes. So on the one hand I kind of like that there is a new pass on Gamora as not Peter Quill's girlfriend who knows better and that he's kind of beneath her. But at the same time, I don't like that she had to be Gwen Stacy style sacrificed right. to get that. Like there, right. there there's it, 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 it's it's not something that I can feel remotely clean uh, about being happy about anything where it's it's like they're trying to band-aid something that really you know maybe they just need to let it be where it is and focus on on starting things from a good place i the i don't betrayal, know the portrayal that we had on screen is that she was never peter quill's girlfriend peter quill was her boyfriend <laughs> she yeah, i can go with that complete, she had she she <laughs> had control of that relationship hmm. anyway oh, yes, I, you yes, know yes, i don't want to like drag this down into this well just going back to the the girl power moment because this this made me so proud of my boys on the way home we drove we drove 45 minutes to see it at a good theater wow. and on the way home we're talking and and they got that that moment wasn't earned there was no setup for it yes. and and all that happened was they're telling peter parker we'll get you there right and and they were like why couldn't one of them have taken the gauntlet? Mm. Right. Why did it have to be Peter? They're right. all just as good. And they got that. I was like, ah, yes, these are my boys. They um, kids are all right. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, just that it, it just wasn't earned. And so across the board, they, they kind of like, Hey, we have lots of women, uh, men, men, men do stuff. Men <laughs> look, women. 
So I'd like to pull us back for a moment yeah. and pull us back all the way to our opening statements because oh, time we, travel again, Chip. Yep, 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 yep. I've got the I've got the eye of Agamotto here. Okay. What were our initial strong reactions to this movie? We loved it. So does this make Endgame what some people would call a problematic fave? Because these are some big issues that we have with some of the underlying mechanics and tropes in the movie. And yet, there's something about it that we liked very much, that David said it wasn't a great film, but it was a great experience. You know, it feels like a capstone to 10 years of Marvel, and it certainly makes me excited for what's coming next, because it's something of a reset That's exactly it. Because, yeah, it is a send-off for the white guys who started the first movie, right? And it sets us up in a really good position with all these new characters who are actually a lot more interesting and there are a lot more possibilities for stories with them. And hey, we've got a whole bunch of Captain America movies now that we can make with Sam because why not? You know? So I don't I don't know if I'm totally problematic with Well, it. so I, let me say this. I wrestled a lot with this movie over the last week and you know, having only seen it once. And a, now that I'm thinking about it a little more, I feel like I I come at it from a place where I also came at The Last Jedi a little bit, but kind of an inversion, which is to say I I appreciated everything The Last Jedi did, and I liked it as a movie, but it was a hard movie to love just because of the tone of it, which is sure. the opposite of what I feel like this is. Like, I loved this movie because the tone of it swept me up and I was so caught up with it. Yeah. But like, you step back and it's like, it's a harder movie to just like because of some of its problems but i still and maybe that is the definition of a problematic fave but like it is still something that i unabashedly i love the movie it's good i'll definitely see it again but i I have to be aware of all those caveats and shortcomings because i it's still it does have an impact on the overall thing but i think it points more towards just sort of an uh, points more towards an idea of the universe they're constructing here and the things they need to improve upon like it's it's an opportunity for improvement and growth and and sort of righting the wrongs of what you didn't do well the first time around and that's great but it all it doesn't take away from the parts of this that I enjoy, especially because so many of those characters are characters I've become deeply invested in over the last 10 years. And that's not a small thing, right? Uh, even if they are a very homogenous group, you know, we're still we're still allowed to like them as characters and still allowed to love them and see where their, where their progression goes and where we end up with them. But it, it shouldn't blind us to the shortcomings. Yeah, for me, this is for sure a problematic fave, but most big budget, almost all big budget things are, and almost everything I watch and love is. Um, But for me also, criticism and figuring out the ways in which things are problematic and learning and listening to other people is part of loving a show. Mm. Like if I didn't care about something, then I wouldn't spend time thinking about it and (laughs) yeah, talking about it with other people. So, you know, as long as the people who are making these big budget movies have such similar experiences, life experiences. And obviously they have some differences, but like it, there do do tend to be trends that, you know, we all know about and talk about, um, you know, these are gonna continue to be problematic faves. Um, that does seem to be slowly changing in the MCU, um, slowly, but, um, in general, you know, thinking about 
Endgame. This has obviously been a big month. Game of Thrones. Um, I think some of you watched The Magicians. It's been really interesting to think about how expectations going into a big pop cultural event or a thing that's a big pop culture event for you affects how you enjoy it. Um, yeah. And that definitely for Endgame, um, I think my expectations were right where they needed to be. And they were high in a lot of ways. Um mm. And I think they were in the right place for things like the treatment of women in this movie. And, you know, I mean, we all, it's hard because I also want to hold things to a higher standard. Um, mm-hmm. But I love big budget, tentpole, superhero, science fiction, fantasy things. So, like, I want to see those things. I don't want to have to opt out of culture until there's something that feels less problematic. Because right. also, there, you know, there's always going to be new stories and new ways of telling it. There's always going to be people who are left out of the discussion. Um, But yeah, I like talking about it. I think that's the most important thing. Well, as, as, as a member of the, of a marginalized group um, in, in this country, um, two marginalized groups that helped uh, build uh, this great nation that we have, there is nothing that I am able to watch, um, you know, save like last year uh, in pop Mm. culture that, I could walk away and say, Oh, I don't have any problems with the, with, with the portrayal of people that looked like me or sounded like me or mm. were meant to be like me. Uh, and in, in anything, you know, books I read, TV I watch, music I listen to, you know, movies that I watch, like all of those things have, have, something in them that I would find objectionable and and part of being a marginalized group in in uh, in the world really is is being able to navigate those waters and still be able to make lemonade out of the lemons that they toss into into those things from you know that that you know those perspectives that they just don't have between uh, really, last year, Black Panther, Get Out, uh, and and the uh, the quasi biographical Black Klansman were the first times that I was able to go in and, and sit down and 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 watch some films where people look like me, they talk like me, they you know they could have been my friends and had experiences that that I felt were realistic to my own experiences. All the rest of these things, I have to live vicariously through, you know, someone else to find mm. find things um, and, you know, find similarities. Uh, my favorite character in anything is Spider-Man. Um, you know, Spider-Man was like me because he was a New Yorker. He struggled mm. with life. He, you know, he he was a nerd and and he rose above all of those things. And, you know, and deep down inside, he was a good dude. But there were things that Peter Parker could do that I could never dream of doing, and, you know, outside of sticking to walls and, and, and mm. making spider webs. But. But you always have to reconcile those things. So, you know, I like, yes, it is a problematic fave, but everything's a problematic fave. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it just is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and as Katie said, uh, I think as a result of, you know, seeing Captain Marvel and, and seeing Black Panther and, 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 you know, and, and the fact that they were bold and brave enough to do the right thing and give, 
uh, the 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 mantle of Captain America to to Falcon um, shows that they are at least making the attempt to uh, to reconcile some of those grievances that that you know people of color, marginalized people may have had with with pop culture in general. I've got something brief that just uh, tags, I think, uh, a little bit onto what Katie said and a little bit onto what Cicero said. As a member of a couple of marginalized groups, uh, I mean, if I started the list, we would be here for another hour. Um, Something that encourages me is the positive progress made. Yeah, there are plenty of problems to point to, but the fact that Chloe Zhao is directing The Eternals, uh, Destin Mm -hmm. Daniel Cretton is directing Shang-Chi, there's a very good story that to me is not is not Marvel trumpeting, you know, tokenism or something about Trin Tran, who executive produced both Endgame and Infinity War and started out as an assistant on Iron Man. Um, Those kinds of steps of progress. uh, I'll say this. You don't see that elsewhere in the superhero world where things uh, it, it almost seems like people are kicking and screaming to keep it very um gender and identity binary uh with a certain a certain color skin a certain life experience a certain world experience in the driver's seat um and as many uh, some things i have i would say are nitpicks some things you know are fanboy uh you know bits of joy like the comic bookiness of things like Hulk handing Ant-Man two tacos, uh, right. you know, like the, the, the fact oh, that, that, that we've got the comic booky language of the storytelling right. and the people doing the storytelling behind the camera for more than just show uh, are, are reflecting more of what not just the United States, but the world looks like um, makes me feel like we're on the right path. Have yes. we have we have we avoided all the bumps in the road on the way there? No. But to what Cicero said, I don't know that those bumps were avoidable. And frankly, there could have been a whole hell of a lot more. of them. Absolutely. So that seems like a good opportunity for a wrap up question. And I want to consult uh, random.org again, uh, but go in reverse order because Dan complained so much oh, last oh my time. God. <laughs> uh, I was not prepared. <laughs> Jumping off of what Moises just said, where do you think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going from here? And we've established that we liked Avengers Endgame a heck of a lot. We had uh, quibbles or major problems here and there, but we seem to like the entire package. Where's the Marvel Cinematic Universe going? And did Endgame push the ball down the field or at least set us up for more exciting things to come? Let's start with Dan. (laughs) I think with the with Endgame, they've given themselves a real challenge because they spent a lot of time and energy invested in these characters over this decade uh, of filmmaking, and they achieved something that had never been done before. And it's rightfully, you know, it should get its its props. It's 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 managed to to do something that's just an incredible feat of storytelling. I, I wonder, in part, if we'll look back on this as sort of the high point. <laughs> of the franchise because i think the the struggle is going to be how they do something that is both different enough uh to distinguish itself from all the movies that have come before but also manages to capture many of the same feelings because we've certainly seen uh, i would say the greatest victory of the mcu is the fact that managed to create a tone that was Mm -hmm. pretty consistent across 20 movies that is pretty hard uh dc has not been able to create a tone that works across two movies um (laughs) or one and (laughs) 
And I think that, you know, for them to turn around and say, we're going to do another 20 movies or something, I think is going to be, uh, it's difficult. They're going to do it because they, they, they're Disney and they have so much money uh, and they have so much stuff, you know, equity wrapped up in this now. But I, I think I'm looking forward to seeing them doing stuff that's different, but I hope they don't lose what really worked about the MCU. And, and that a lot of that is about the tone, uh, about stuff that is generally pretty upbeat, that has a lot of humor in it that is not dark and dour and grim all the time. Uh, and I think that's that's sort of why people have responded to it in large part so well and, and because we see ourselves in these characters. But, uh, you know, a lot of these characters were not themselves marquee names uh, when the MCU started. So they've shown themselves able to to sort of pick out characters from their extensive catalog and turn them into household names. I mean, I, even Iron Man, not a household name before the, the MCU. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not discounting what they, what they have at their uh, disposal, but I do think that, that following up a 10-year saga is a tall order, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Guy English. I think you put me after Dan because you knew he would steal everything that I had to say. That was smart. <laughs> I love you, Dino. <laughs> love you, Dino. Guy, too, have you come to bargain? <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time doing yes ands with uh, with Dan. Um, <laughs> I agree with everything he said. I, uh, in terms of what this movie accomplished, I, uh, it's amazing. It, uh, like I keep saying, it it shouldn't exist. Um, in many ways. It is the culmination of the, the Tony Stark story. And I was always an Iron Man nerd as a kid. I'm, I'm a computer programmer by profession, which means that I beat on a keyboard and wait to see what happens. Right. And, uh, seeing that guy being cocky and then brought down to earth, like uh, uh, his particular arc made sense to me, or, or at least I understood it. I, I had some sort of connection to it. More importantly, I don't. I don't think this movie is a guilty pleasure. I, I. I. I think that how broadly accepted and how diverse the audience for not just this movie but all of the MCU movies has become, due to the fact that they've been trying to address um, the problems that the ultimately these characters have problems. The the comic books have problems, and they have been trying to address them year after year, decade after decade, and they are not perfect. They are far from perfect, as I just sort of went off about, like, dropping Nat off a cliff. <laughs> but they're trying. Right. And uh, like like their characters, they're actually trying to do better. And uh, they're failing. And in this movie, we see them failing. This is all about failing. And yet, there's, there's an intrinsic hope. There's an intrinsic hope for the culture presented by this. There's uh, sort of a stick-to-it attitude as uh, evidenced by it by Cap getting up and facing the entire army. There is um, the sacrifice of, of Tony. There's just the, the, the bonding of the whole team. I, I think that um, while this movie makes no sense as an individual act, it, it makes a lot of sense as a as a cultural phenomenon. And I, I can't think of a higher sort of thing to, to, to recommend it as that like this in history will be an interesting cultural moment. Uh, this is a modern myth. We have all bought into it. It made a billion dollars in a weekend. That's obscene. And I don't think it's by accident. 
I think it is by dint of the the character development and the uh, the grandiosity of the of the presentation. Dare we say, and I'm glad that uh, you went after Dan because I can say this, and Dan can just sort of sit there and stew for a minute as I say this. Dare we say that this is the current generation's Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. In some it's, ways, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I'll, it's, I'll like, it. it's like the generation coming up got 22 Star Wars movies over the last 10 years. Wow. And they didn't complain when they got two Star Wars movies in the same year. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, because both of them were good. You know Solo what? It wasn't oh. that good, Dan. We got to talk about that. But anyway. You, you know what? You put Dan on the podcast, inevitably it becomes a Star Wars episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. David J. Lore, final thoughts. Well, Jason, I think one of the things that works with this is the fan service, unlike in Solo. No, 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 no. Anyway. Wow. Um, oh, I hated Solo. Shots oh, fired. Hey, hey, God's hey, sake. Hey. Anyway. I beat up on Dan. <laughs> Nobody else beats up on Dan. <laughs> Right. Dan I, shot first. See, <laughs> see guys, be the name of my blog, so he could beat up on Dan for me. Um, no, 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 um, no. Like I said before, I think this does leave us in a good position. I do think they have a lot of opportunity now that they've uh, finished buying Fox, and and I mean, look, they've got all the X Men characters to play with now. They've got the Fantastic Four to play with. How many other stories haven't they done? Um, are they going to top this? I don't know if they're going to top it, but they can certainly match it. And they might do more interesting stories with all of these new characters and ideas to play with. Um, just the, the stories inherent in the X-Men that the X-Men movies haven't done a very good job with either. Um, you know, let's see what this, this group can do. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited by that. I'm looking forward to it. And, 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 and I say this as someone who grew up as a DC Comics guy. I was not a Marvel guy until watching Iron Man. And, and even at that, you know, I don't read the books. I, I, I follow them. I knew the history. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by pop culture that way, but I didn't really read, you know, thoroughly. I, but I was always, you know, I've got, I'm looking at a whole bunch of Batman books like six feet away from me. And we walked out of this movie and all three of us were like, yeah, DC should just go home. They're they're never gonna do this. They they can't. They're incapable of doing something like this. I I really want to see where they go. I'm I'm excited. I still have quite a bit of interest in Wonder Woman. Uh, oh yes, or is it? Uh, that, I, think, I mean, yeah. I think Wonder Woman's certain... the only one that I've liked of the recent DC movies. Wow, that's the there only one I want to see more of. Katie Burt, your final thoughts. For me, at least, if they're going to continue, if they're going to reach new narrative heights, at least, um, they need to start telling different kinds of stories. When I think back about, when, you know, to when Iron Man first came out um, and also Captain America, the first Avenger, there's so much about, you know, America, obviously, and Iron Man struggling with the war in the Middle East and what it means when you're, you know, making all these weapons and not necessarily taking accountability for where they end up, which just felt so relevant to where we were then and where we are now, even if we don't talk about it in the same way. And Captain America being this, you know, nostalgic questioning, at least for me, this nostalgic idea of like uh, a better America or a time when we were more just or the enemy was was simpler. Um so I think one of the reasons why Black Panther was such an interesting film, there's so many reasons, but it's made by Americans. It's and because of that, it 
it is an American perspective, but it's not about America. And that just feels like a huge um, jump for the franchise to recognize that and to also tell a story about what it looks like when a nation is willing to, you know, share their resources or, um, yeah, like give up security. Um, that feels like a question that America has a lot of issues around. Um, so, yeah, I guess for me, it's I don't want to keep seeing the same chosen one narrative again, even if it's someone different, to be Thank honest, even if God. it's not a white man. Um, I want to see different kinds of stories because I don't think that narrative works anymore. Maybe I'm overestimating where we are as a culture that we're, we could move past that and the movie could still have broad appeal. But, you know, when we're talking about the next generation, I like to think that they're smarter in some ways <laughs> than <laughs> the rest of us. Um so, yeah, leaning into different kinds of stories would be cool. I'm also really curious how Disney Plus and all the shows they're launching. You know, they have a WandaVision show, Winter Soldier, The Falcon, um, a Loki show, um, a What If show. They have a lot going on. And Marvel TV has never really done, I think, what it's supposed to or what Marvel exp- ha- has wanted it to. In some ways, it feels like that's go- those shows are going to keep the MCU. I don't know. Those are all like characters who are, you know, from this first saga. Um, and also a lot of those, you know, the Black Widow movie is a prequel. I am worried that they're going to, you know, keep too much of their focus on these already existing stories instead of moving forward and telling new ones. Um, but I'm really interested to see how Disney Plus affects people's experience of the MCU. Um, because it's a lot. There's a lot of content. <laughs> Cicero. All right, so um, I'm going to say that that one one of the things that is brilliant about uh, this this last 11 years of films is something that I I said before, which is that um, it it made comic book fans out of moviegoers, and I I also think that with the, the diversity, um, the breadth of diversity of the MCU films, it made genre film fans out of comic book nerds. Um, if you look at, if you look at, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is, you know, very much a, uh, you know, a kind of a, a heist film. Captain Marvel was a buddy cop film. Uh, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy is your classic sci-fi epic. Um, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is, I mean, an amazing Right, right, exactly. It's an amazing espionage film. I think it it made genre fans, genre film fans out of comic book nerds, that they use these comic book heroes to allow uh, comic book fans to to become acclimated with the idea of of, uh, developing an appetite for these different types of films. And I think that they're going to use that to go into uh, phase four. I like to do a thing called, uh, you know, I call myself Stubby Stan. I'd like to do a thing called Stubnosticate. So this is my Stubnostication on what phase four is. And this was uh, when I when I saw that they were going five years into the future, I was like, huh? And and like Katie said, I think I thought it was great that they kept that there. Um, and I think that what that gives them the space to do is fill that gap in the real time five years and give us films that are phase four films that talk about what happened in between the snap 
And right. when we get to Endgame, right. so like that. that's exciting. So, yeah. so maybe horror movie the 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 Black Widow film mm-hmm. is a prequel, but not a prequel in the way that we think about it. Maybe it's a prequel within the continuity of these films. What if the Black mm-hmm. Widow film is is the story of what Natasha was doing in between the snap oh, and like when that. we and when we see her. In the beginning of Endgame. Um, and what if we get lots of films in phase four that talk about that? What was going on, you know, is probably not going to be Black Panther 2, but what was going on in Wakanda? And, and you know, what if there was some type of power struggle because the king was was has disappeared? You know, and, you know, where that, that power vacuum in Wakanda uh, created some type of political angst uh, with within within uh, within that entire political structure. What if we get a Ronin film uh, where we talk about what, you know, Hawkeye's descent into darkness? Um, what if we get for a moment actual... there? I was afraid you were you said Ronan film and I was right. like, really? <laughs> Yeah, ne- neither uh, one of those but, is really appealing, actually. He's really right. into making pie. <laughs> right. Oh, maybe they face off against but, each other. Right. But, but like, but, you know, maybe we actually get a Mark Ruffalo Hulk film where we see how he becomes the, you know, Banner Hulk. Because we we never really got that question answered. Why the Hulk just disappeared and wouldn't, you know, wouldn't Hulk up? During Infinity War. So like we've we've they've given themselves this space now, this latitude to create stories within that space that will fill the gap between uh, where we are today in real time and where we will be by the time. uh, And I mean, they've they've said that phase four will end in 2023 in real time of where the, where the uh, the events of endgame kind of bring us to in the future hmm. so we have that space now to do a lot of things and and i would really look forward to seeing them do that stuff okay moises the last word is yours Oh, good. No pressure. Um, I, you know, on, on, on the note that Cicero left on uh, and, and touching back to what Katie was talking about in terms of where the narratives go, uh, the, the division between Marvel Studios, who've been making the movies, and Marvel TV, who make things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that the movies act like don't exist, um, still remains kind of there. I mean, Marvel TV just announced a Ghost Rider series right. uh, spinning off from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They announced a Hellstrom series, which I, it feels like... Like in both of those respects, they're making two things exactly for me um, because I, I am the target audience for both of those things. Um, I, I think I think there's some interesting ground to be trod with Marvel TV exploring characters that don't fit into the giant connected crossover event world of what it seems Marvel Studios wants to continue doing. And what ends up on that side and on Hulu versus on the Disney Plus side and directly tied into the movies. Uh, Something we mentioned on a Disney Plus episode of The Incomparable was looking at Star Wars. If the setup of there being Star Wars miniseries shows had existed before they made Solo, which they were initially intending to do two or three movies of, would they have done it as movies or would they have done it as Disney Plus exclusive series? Are they looking at doing a similar kind of model with Marvel stuff and fitting it all into this grand uh, Disney industrial complex um, of, of how they are delivering this stuff. Uh, There are few studios out there that get 
figuring out that kind of content delivery the way that Disney does. In this movie, we've got the seedlings of what could be a Young Avengers lineup, you know, canonically. Right. Cassie Lang, Scott's daughter, Stature, the the Disney Plus series with Hawkeye and his daughter, who I guess is, you know, is uh, is Lady Hawkeye, uh, to use the comics parlance of things. Um, kind of a stand-in for Kate Bishop. Um, we saw Ty Simpkins from uh, Iron Man 3 there at the Tony Stark right. funeral. He's the kid nobody knew who he was. Right. Because he, it's been a few years. Um, maybe... And he is aged. It, yes. He is aged. He is aged. Uh, you know, maybe he is our Iron Lad. Um, there, there are open questions like that, dangling threads that they left there. I think it's really fascinating looking at Black Panther 2 being not just Wakanda rebuilding in the wake of, of Black Panther 1, but also rebuilding in the kind of geopolitical strife that would have had to come from both of the heirs to the throne disappearing and Queen Ramonda being the only one left. There are so many of those kinds of things that on a nerdy fan level are are cool and interesting to me. The thing that, um, that I hope uh, that we see, which touches on, on things that other people have said is I I mentioned Gwen Stacy earlier and I didn't mean Gwen Stacy from the amazing Spider-Man movies. I meant Gwen Stacy from the comics, Gwen Stacy, who was killed to motivate the male hero. I like that it seems like there is effort to diverge from that. Um, there's effort to diverge from people of color only being there as support for the fresh-faced, conventionally handsome, skinny, white male hero. I like that it looks like there are diversions from that, and I just hope that they keep going down that path. Yeah. But the, the other diversion that I would hope to put out there is, uh, you know, I shop at Target. I buy things from mega multinational corporations. I go and see two or three Marvel movies a year. And I would hope that especially in a world where Disney now controls such an enormous amount of just all of the mega mainstream blockbuster content that we can view, that for those two or three Marvel movies a year, people will seek out two or three art house movies a year, uh, films in a foreign language, films in art house theaters, you know, go to the place that doesn't have the laser projection, IMAX screen and everything. And I'm not saying that, that, that anybody is bad for liking Endgame and infinity war or game of Thrones or any of this mainstream stuff. But I just hope that we, we look for a balance in the content that we're consuming just for nutritional purposes, if nothing else. Cause I love these movies and I, I, I enjoy superhero comics, but I balance my superhero comics with creator owned comics because they wouldn't exist without these people who are working without a pension plan, without a retirement plan. They're independent contractors for these publishers. Um, Jimmy Palmiotti, noted comics creator. He was part of the revival of Marvel with Marvel Knights. He's a big name at DC Comics. He tweeted, I think it was today or yesterday, um, that, that the thing that creators have to do is do a lot of self-promoting because they they have to watch out for themselves because the major publishers, the major media corporations, they are happy to have that fuel for the fire, but they are not going to make sure that you know that it is this person that did this, this person that did this. And the best you can hope for is Jim Starlin having one line, a cameo, and hopefully they cut him a generous check. But when a movie makes $1.2 billion in a weekend, I am one of the people still wondering why Bill Mantlo, the creator of Rocket Raccoon's brother, is still trying to uh, seek GoFundMe funding for his ongoing health care. Um, I, right. I can enjoy all of this, but at the same time, I, I want to try to be conscious uh, and have a conscience about the fact that a lot of the people that made these things – 
that is grist for the mill for these big, beautiful, gorgeous blockbusters, um, they're not always necessarily as well taken care of as we might think. So if, if, if I had one thing that I really wanted to close with, it was if you have a few bucks to throw in, if you know somebody who's especially well healed, um, you know, take a look at the, at the GoFundMe set up by, uh, Mike Mantlow, Bill Mantlow's brother. Um, if you love Rocket Raccoon, he is the reason that you love Rocket Raccoon. Rocket would not exist without Bill Mantlow. I'm, I'm sure we can put a link in the show notes too. Is that, that how technology works these days? I know. Jason, <laughs> Jason, can you answer David's question? Can we do that? On behalf of Jason Snell, I think we can. (laughs) Listen, it has been loads of fun talking about the biggest movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, certainly the biggest movie of the year thus far. Cicero Holmes, David Lohr, Katie Burt, Moises Chuyan, Dan Moran, Guy English. Thank you all so much for jumping into the scrum and adding to the Incomparable Network's flood of content regarding Avengers Endgame. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I turn this seat back over to Jason Snell for the next episode of The Incomparable. We'll be back in a snap. 